Thank you greatly. If you have your Bibles tonight, of course, we're in a continuing study in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, I'd ask you to turn there. We're still in the first chapter. As a matter of fact, we're only in verse 10. How many weeks we've we been here? <laughs> I don't run fast through these things, do I? Uh, <clears throat> I want you to turn there. And I think I want to back up to verses 8 and 9, even though we looked at them last week, and read on through verse 12. That will be my passage this evening. Uh, several have already asked me, uh, where's your wife? Uh, I wonder if she comes without me. Anybody will ask her where Brother Ken is. Uh, uh, but uh, thank you so much for your interest in her. She is a uh, uh, she is at Northside in Murfreesboro tonight. Uh, they're having a big music event there then at, at our home church, and she uh, just really, uh, that ministry means a great deal to her, and she uh, really wanted to be a part of it. And she almost cried as she told me she had made her decision to go there instead of come here. And I mean that seriously, because you've worked so hard to make us feel at home here. So thank you for that. Uh, and I want to ask you too, and I'll say this and I'll move on to the message, to pray for my son. I mentioned this morning that two of our children are missions, and I should also say that my, my youngest son, Joel's in missions because he became a part of a church plant in Murfreesboro called the City Church. Um, and uh, even though he works for Lifeway, he has been a critical part of that work. And he and his pastor tonight are... Uh, visiting a church um, that has facilities, um, <clears throat> and this this church is uh, just this church is basically um, is a dying church, and uh, and uh, they uh, it would be important to them if they could develop some kind of relationship with them and maybe mean something to one another. Uh, is this new, this young church that he's a part of. And I probably said too much, but I want you to just pray for my son Joel and their continued ministry where they have a real burden for the inside the city of Murfreesboro. So if you'd do that. Where First Peter, I'm going to back up and read verses 8 and 9, even though I'm going to concentrate on 10 through 11 tonight. Would you stand with me as we read verses 8 through 12? Follow with me in your Bibles as I read aloud. And it says, Whom having not seen, who's he talking about? Jesus, right? Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though you now see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation beginning tonight's text, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things 
the angels desire to look into. Father in heaven, these moments are yours. This time is yours. So these people are yours. We come to the word. We come submissive and open and ready for you to speak. Uh, guide us all in these moments. The preacher lays his life out before you. I pray that the folks will, uh, those that have ears to hear, would hear what you have to say tonight. Open their ears to their hearts and encourage us all. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Those of you that have followed us in these previous weeks in the book of 1 Peter, know that Peter's introductory thoughts center in the glorious salvation experienced by his readers and all who have ever trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's already talked to us about being born again to a living hope. He's talked to us about the promise of heaven. He's talked to us about the protective power of God over our salvation. He's spoken to us about a new hope, a new love, a new trust, joy, and a changed life. All the while, and I don't know everything about it. We don't know everything about it. We don't know everything that was going on in the lives of these individuals. Can I remind you once again as I go back to the background and the group that this letter was written to. It was written to those out on the edge of the empire, in Asia Minor most likely. Those that were part of what's called the diaspora, those that were just spread to the different regions outside of the Holy Land, outside of Palestine. Uh, and these were Christians, maybe some saved on the day of Pentecost, maybe some saved by a traveling evangelist, but whatever, whatever, they were people that were out on the edge. They were not in the, in the heartbeat of Christianity or Judaism. They were not in Jerusalem. They were in hard places, difficult places. And being out on the edge of the empire uh, and away from Jerusalem and away from the the center where Christianity, the power of Christianity was happening, they, they were small groups. They were probably home churches. And they, they had difficult times in a lot of ways. See, you must understand, these people were despised by Rome. They were despised by the Gentile nations of that time. And they were despised by Israel. And here they were, they didn't have a large church. They didn't have a group that sold their possessions and gave everything to one another and come together. They were people that had difficult times in their life and we don't know everything about it. And we don't know their occupations. We don't know what their lives were like. Maybe some of them were even slaves. But Peter writes to them and he tells them that he knows their faith will be tested. That he even knows that presently their faith is being tested. Um, but what he means to do, especially in these next few verses, he, he means to tell them, listen, even they, though times get difficult uh, and it's hard on you, please don't get discouraged. Please don't get discouraged. Because you are never forgotten. You are never forsaken by God. 
On the contrary, you, he, he tells them, you need to look at yourself and you need to look at your salvation. You need to look at what's happened in your life and what Jesus has done for you. And I have a title for my sermon. He said, you need to understand that you're a big part of the big picture. You're a big part of what God is doing. In verse 10, that last phrase, he says, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now, you see that italics, don't you, in your King James Version? That, sh that should come. What does that mean when you see something like that in the King James Version? It means it ain't in there. It means, did that ain't offend some of you? It means it's not in there. It was provided by the King James translators because they thought it would make it read easier as they translated over. Uh, it's in, and I tell you one of the places where, the, where uh, it almost brought heartbreaking damage to us, it's in the, the book of Acts chapter 2 where they added the word unknown. Did you know that? To tongues. Unknown tongues. Because, folks, the truth is the tongues in Acts chapter 2 were known tongues. They were known tongues. And it's, so they added the word. And here this is added. You, some of you look at I'm not going to preach on Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost and the coming of the tongues of fire on their heads. Uh, right here I want you to see the phrase says this, talking about the prophets of old, the Old Testament prophets. They prophesied of the grace unto you. They prophesied of the grace for you. Under you, all about you, God's grace extended to you. Peter is telling those that read his letter, you are now in the age of grace. The grace that has come to you. This is the grand and glorious age of grace, ushered in by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an age like none other. All redemptive, watch this, Listen, because this is talking to us too. It's talking to this generation, the age of grace. He said all redemptive history in the Old Testament was pointing to and moving toward you. Everything in the Old Testament was moving toward you, moving to the church age, the day of grace to your generation, moving toward what we call the church age, the church age. And Peter, as he writes to these people, not knowing all of their sufferings, all of their challenges, all of their difficulties, he says, don't you ever let any of them make you believe that you are forgotten or forsaken or insignificant to God. He said, he who saved you, you are all important to him. You are significant to him. Peter tells us there are times when you'll, you may get the feeling you are insignificant, that your troubles are too many, that there's no hope for you, that nobody cares for you, including God. And I told you the theme of 1 Peter is hope. 
He said, don't lose your hope in the things of God. Because if you quit, folks, you've just flat messed up. Um, you know, if you are saved, listen to me. I want you to hear this. If you're saved, you're born again. The Holy Spirit lives inside. You have the hope of heaven. You are a child of God. The only thing that Satan can do to you is stop you here. He can't take you to hell. He can't take your salvation. The only thing he can do is stop you. Any of, any of you ever heard of a goal line stand? You know what a goal line stand is? You know, the, you know, the, the opposing team is on, is on, got the ball and they're coming at you and we got to just keep them out of the end zone. A goal line stand. Uh, you know, uh, I tell you, I want you to follow this for a moment. Satan is on the half-inch line. And Jesus has given us the ball. And the only thing he can do in this world is, is have one goal line stand. Because you know what? The score is 1,000 to nothing. And we're on the half-inch line, ready to go into glory. And all he can do is stop you. Don't let Satan stop you. Don't let him cause you to lose your hope, your significance, your importance in this world. That's what Peter's all about in this passage. Don't let, ever let any amount of trial or difficulty cause you to forget what God has done for you, who you are, and that in this day of grace, it is a day of opportunity for you to live and make an impact for Jesus Christ. Never forget the part you have in God's plan, all right? You have a part if you are a believer. Too much introduction, all right? I do that often, don't I? Uh, somebody, did I hear an amen? Um, and here's how Peter talks about this tonight. You ready? Is he wants to talk about our part, the believer's part. The church age, the day of grace, our part in God's redemptive plan. He kind of mentions the part of others. The, uh, he mentions the part of the prophets, their part in God's redemptive plan. It's, you know, the part they played in all this. And, uh, and then he mentions the apostles. I, that's, you'll see that in a moment. It read a little difficult through there in verses 11 and 12. But he, he also talks about those who first brought the gospel. And he's one of them, right? Peter's one of them, one of the apostles that first brought the gospel to them. And then he talks about another group that has a part in God's redemptive plan. Did you see that? The angels. The angels. And... Uh, and, but all of it, you, are you ready? What he's really trying to say is, you got a bigger part than all of them. That's what, he, it's what he's trying to tell you, church-age Christians. It's what he's trying to tell you, church, you have a bigger part. So let's look at it, all right? That's the three points. The part of the prophets and their prof the ancients and their prophecies, the part of the apostles, uh, and the part of the angels. First of all, the part of the ancients and their prophecies. Let me read verse 10 and 11, a little bit of 11 again. It says, Of which salvation 
the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify what, what the Holy Spirit was telling, what even what they were writing, what it meant about the coming of the Messiah. When I talk about the prophets, you remember in Hebrews chapter 1 it says, in times past God has spoken through the prophets in many different ways and whatnot. Here he's talking about the, the Old Testament prophets. It includes all the stories of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Everything spoken in the time of Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Nehemiah, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And how many times have I heard Mike Shelby refer to Daniel? Are you teaching that in Sunday school? Okay, I, I knew you were all torn up about Daniel. Uh, you get torn up, can't you, going through there? Peter tells us, that these ancient prophets had a great messianic message. And it was talking about the coming day of grace, a time of unmerited favor, a time of saving mercy to sinful men who deserve hell. But you see, in Peter's day, in the day of Jesus Christ, they were messed up on the Messiah, correct? They were looking for a Jewish king that would be like a Roman king. That would, that would be like a Pharaoh that sat on the throne uh, years ago in the days of Joseph. They were looking for somebody that would rule the world presently instead of ruling men's hearts. But the Old Testament prophets, they had a great messianic message about a coming day of grace, a saving work in the lives of people. He says in this passage, they were led and they wrote by the Spirit, by the Spirit of what? The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Messiah. But they obviously wrote beyond their own understanding. Uh, it says that they, it said the prophets inquired and searched diligently when they prophesy about, about this. In verse 11 it says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. When's this coming, God? These very things we're writing about, when are they coming? I appreciate what Peter does in this passage because over and over again, you know what he reaffirms? That the Word of God, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. Say amen. It's God's Word. It's His prophecy. Over and over again, Peter assumes inspiration, and so does his readers. But I'm not, and he says, this, this inspiration, this messianic message, it still had a lot of mysteries in it. Um, uh, they searched and searched. When's it coming? Exactly how's all this going to happen? Sometimes it doesn't just mesh and gel for us. We, we don't clearly see the Messiah and see Jesus. That, that phrase about what or what manner of time reminded me about when Jesus rose from the dead and just before His ascension. What's the last thing that, that the, the disciples asked Jesus before His ascension? When's the time of your kingdom? 
You, we're still a little, it's still some mystery here. We want to know when you're going to set up things. Right? And so the, the Old Testament prophets, they, 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 when's this going to happen? How's it going to happen? What's it going to look like? And uh, then when you go back to the Old Testament, it kind of, I think it really meshes in uh, with what Peter's message is in 1 Peter. He said, those prophets and their message concerning the Messiah had this constant mixture, mixture of sufferings and glory. Suffering, do you know that? Sufferings and glory. And he's trying to get this message across to them, to these people that he writes. You know, there, there's the, even in the Old Testament, just as you're facing right now, you have this mystery, this mixture of of sufferings and glory. Can I read you? You might be confused if if you just uh, had the old. If we just had the Old Testament now, we might be confused if we weren't on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. But let me read you two passages from the Old Testament. Number one, you're going to notice it's suffering. You know this passage, don't you? Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he will grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, of men of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet he did not, we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. By the way, I'm going to read this whole chapter. Hang on. Does that bother you? I read so much Bible tonight. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and, and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased Jehovah, Yahweh, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. 
and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Anybody get a hint who he might be talking about? We know, don't we? But what if after, right after that, you picked up your old, you picked up your scroll and says, "Let's go over and find out where Mike Shelby's teaching right now." And Daniel, how about? Are you in Daniel seven yet? You're in four. I had such a great illustration. Um, Daniel had a dream. Let me tell you part of it. Daniel chapter seven verse nine. I beheld till the thrones were cast down in the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were open. I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they that had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season of time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Who does that sound like? The Jesus we haven't seen yet. But I tell you, one day we're going to see him coming in the clouds. But folks, that's the Old Testament. I think it was Warren Wiersbe said, you have to read the Old Testament like it's two mountain peaks, the prophecies. There's always the suffering servant of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the sacrifices of the temples. But we're going to see those images in Daniel, Zechariah, and on and on, even in Isaiah of the days when the lion will lay down with the lamb. We're going to see that other peak where the Son of Man comes in the clouds and we're going to see Jesus. He said, that, that's, that was their part. And they didn't understand it all, but they wrote it because the Holy Ghost inspired them to put it down. And it came to us. This great message came to us. It came to us. This message mixed with sufferings and glories, but it's all about Jesus. They, and you know what? What Peter means to say is they wrote for us. The Old, the Old Testament's for us. Don't you listen to any turkey that wants to take the Old Testament out of your devotional life. It was written for us. Everything gone before was preparation for the church age. Everything before is to serve us. Some people say, uh, 
You know, we get nostalgic, don't we? Um, we want to go back to the simpler days, the good old days, uh, better days. Um, I'm telling you, Peter means to tell these folks, don't let your sufferings, your heartaches say, hey, let's go back to the good old days. No, live today. Can I give you a little kinpoke philosophy? <laughs> Here, I'm, I'm a, did y'all know I was a philosopher? You thought I was just a preacher. Um, here's some philosophy. Learn from yesterday. Live today. Always look forward to tomorrow. And remember this. Everything that went before was done for us. It was written for us. For us. I must move on. That was the part of the prophets. But the apostles had a part. And there in that First Peter passage, he said, we'll move on down to verse 12, it says, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which now Paul's, now he's going to talk about the apostles, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. That's talking about the apostles in that hour that have been appointed and anointed to preach the gospel. And I believe he's primarily talking about the apostles. And I believe he's talking about Peter's even talking about himself. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul wrote this, When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, talking about him being an apostle, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Thank God that he gave us, Jesus gave us, the apostles. Who were the apostles? The apostles were those who knew the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And those that gave us the New Testament were either the apostles or those that knew the apostles or a disciple of the apostles. Those first missionaries, those first preachers that brought the Word of God to people. And many of those people that received their word had never seen the physical Lord Jesus, but they received the word from those who had seen the physical Lord Jesus Christ risen from the grave. They were anointed and confirmed once again. Did you see that? They were anointed and confirmed by what? The Holy Ghost. That must refer to the day of Pentecost, but it also, once again, speaks to the word, the principle of inspiration, the authority of the Word of God come by the Holy Spirit. And Peter was one who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. And then the other apostles and their disciples spread across the civilized world in their time. We, we really do not. We, we cannot comprehend and take in the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church that those few people moved across the known world and led people to Jesus Christ. We don't even want to go to visitation when it's raining. And they moved across an ancient world. 
And eventually, it got to Lebanon. We got to Nashville, got to Murfreesboro, where I was saved. Uh, they carried the gospel. You know, as vital, as critically important as the apostles' message was, and it, it is, it's our authoritative word of God. Uh, Peter means to tell this people, but listen, God sent them to you. You're still the big part. You still have a very important part in this. You, re, you remember the words to Jesus to Thomas? You remember when Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas finally believed and he, and he called him Lord and he said, you know, you have seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Did you ever follow that? He said that he's talking about us. Not, an, not someone that got, think about it, Thomas got to put his hands in those, those prints in his side. In his hand, you know, he, he felt the risen, resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, more blessed is Ken. More blessed is he that hasn't seen yet believe. You know, people will ask you, how can you believe in a God you can't see? Folks, I can't see electricity, but that doesn't keep me from flipping the switch. I can't see air, but the last time I looked, every one of you are trying to breathe tonight. I can't see gravity, but I'm not going to challenge it by diving off you guys' steeple tonight. But you say, okay, brother, brother Ken, what you're saying is you believe in God and it works for you. No, not that it just works for me. Watch this. What has this whole sermon been about tonight? Not only does it work for me, not only has the power of God been released in my life through faith and the grace of God, and the, not only do I have love, joy, and awareness of a newness of life within me, but I also hold in my hand a book from Genesis to Revelation. On every page, I'm seeing Jesus. Different mountain peaks, sometimes he's suffering. Sometimes he's the ancient of days, glorified and lifted up, sitting on the judgment seat. But I see him from Genesis to Revelation. I see the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hear the message of the apostles. I have chosen to believe those who have seen. Those who have heard from God, who've heard from the Holy Spirit. And I've been told that I'm more blessed than even those who actually saw him and touched a glorified Christ. Now I'm going to end, and we're going to get out of here on time. Whatever on time is on Sunday night. Um, <clears throat> he talks about the part of the angels that the angels played. Did you see just one little phrase in verse 12? It says, which things the angels desire to look into. You know, if anything seems to have a big part in the big picture, in the scheme of things regarding God, you'd think it'd be the angels, wouldn't you? Uh, they're, they're all the time involved in something. You'd think it would be them. Uh, they uh, are ones that have 
some of the grandest positions. They are some of the supreme participants in the scheme of things regarding God. But you do know this, don't you? The fallen angels cannot be saved, and the angels that did not fall don't need to be saved. They don't even know one thing about grace and forgiveness. Could you imagine your life not knowing anything about grace and forgiveness? I couldn't. I couldn't. The angels are longing to look into this and understand it. That's, a, that's what that word desire means. As a matter of fact, the word translated desire there, in other passages in the Bible, it's translated lust. It's always, it's, but see, it just means a passionate desire, good or bad, and the context tells you whether it's good or bad. Here it's good. It's good. Just, I'm, they are driven, longing to look into the, to what salvation is all about. Um, it doesn't mean that angels were not involved at all in redemptive history. We know they were. Um, especially in the days of Christ. One, an angel coming to Mary, an angel coming to Joseph, an angel coming to Elizabeth, angels coming to the shepherds, uh, the, the, uh, the angels coming to Jesus and ministering him to the days of temptation. And Jesus literally telling the disciples, says, he says, I tell you, I could call 10,000 angels if I wanted to and keep me off this cross. They were angels. Who was at the tomb? Jesus rose again, angels. Who was there at the ascension? Angels. They, they have a part, but they still don't know anything about forgiveness and grace. God exposes it to, them to it all the time. But they, but they said, this has got to be great. This has got to be great. Still they are longing. You know, when Jesus gives the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, he talks about their being rejoicing in the presence of angels, not in the presence of God. Who's doing the rejoicing when someone's saved? It's God. And they're, they're, they're wondering, why is God so happy? Somebody got saved. I believe that. And it says the angels are looking. They desire to look into. That word looking is the same word that's used for both Mary Magdalene and for Peter, when they finally got to the tomb and they looked in, they were fixated. Where's, what is going on? What happened in there? Uh, looking for the resurrected Christ. In other words, watch this, folks. Angels are absolutely preoccupied with what God has done for you. They are absolutely preoccupied with what the cross, the blood of Jesus has done for you and me. John MacArthur says, angels have a holy curiosity to understand the kind of grace that they will never experience. I 
I, I believe that the angels know if they understood salvation more, if they understood grace and forgiveness more, that would just give them more reason to give God the glory. So let's move to conclusion. Ancient prophets wrote about your salvation. The apostles preached the gospel about your salvation. The angels are preoccupied with your salvation. I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you, believer in the church age, in the day of grace, no one plays a bigger part in God's redemptive history. He brought everything to this point and to this place and our calling to serve him in this time. As I rode up the highway this night, tonight, coming from Murfreesboro, I know it's not that far, but I, I just kind of ca got captured on that thought. I said, God, you know, I've not been a big part of a lot of things in my life. I've not been real important to a lot of different situations. I played sports in high school. Can I tell you something? They could have got along without me. I didn't play a big part. But I kept thinking, but you're telling me as I think about my message tonight, I'm a big part in your plan. The believer's a big part in what God's doing. Um, some of you may have heard of Jay Adams. Um, still living, he's 90 years old or better. He's a prominent Christian counselor and psychologist. For years and years, I think he's been almost forgotten now, before years and years and years, he challenged preachers and Christian counselors everywhere and said, stick with the Word. Use the Word of God when you talk. And call people in check for their sins. Tell them they're responsible. An amazing approach to counseling. It's my fault, not somebody else's. a prominent Christian counselor and psychologist, but he wrote this. It really, really touched my heart. He said, Christians are neither forgotten nor forsaken. They are a part of a glorious plan of grace that all the ages have been moving toward and about which heaven and earth are deeply concerned. Forgotten? Question mark? Of course not. These are days of destiny. These are the days of fulfillment. God brought us to this place. And there are going to be times of suffering and there's going to be times of glories. But none of it, neither one should make us lose sight of our hope and our part and our role in Christian history. These are the days of grace. We're post-Calvary, post-resurrection, post-ascension, post-Pentecost. We are not, Christians, just another generation of mankind. We are representative of God's great desire and objective. We are the saved. 
We are the principles in God's program. Everything God has done in history concerns what He has done in us. The born again and the New Testament church. We are not a small part in the big picture. We are a big part in the big picture of what God is doing. Our day, listen, our day, the day of grace, the church age, is the last act on God's redemptive program. Now, I know some of you are saying, what about the second coming? Folks, the second coming is just the curtain coming down. That just means it's done. It's over. Right now, it's not over. It's not over. Right now, we are in the, we are in the climax of history. Believe it. Stay there. God's greatest desire is to save. And today, church, is the day of salvation. May God encourage you with this passage, these truths, this word.